got too busy um, singing, which is unusual for me. Um, welcome. Let's pray. Lord, this is the day that you have made, but that's no different than every other day. This is the day in obedience and respect. We come together as your people, and we are mindful more than any other time that we're coming together differently. Some can't join us. Some won't. Some would rather not. But all together, we're your children. And we need to be together in obedience and in respect, bringing praise and worship, prayers, a search of your scriptures. So this day, Lord, in many different ways and some new, we come to you and thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're glad you're here. Whether you're in this room or you're joining us from outside of this room via Facebook or YouTube, if you are joining us by Facebook and YouTube, we want you to know that we, we welcome you and we would like to hear from you. We'd like to know how you are. We'd like to know what's going on with you, so send us a chat, or whatever those things are called. Um, I know it's not a telegram, and I know it's not a letter, so it, it must be a chat. Send one. Um, we'd appreciate it. You have a family life card in your seat. If you are a visitor, please fill it out and get it to us. The same thing online. I know it's a, 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 an extra thing for you to do, but humor us and, and, and try to get us that information. The Restore Network has need of diapers and wipes and pull-ups, and there are collection bins. Uh, we need those uh, for their drive for September. Now, we have a couple of changes uh, that you need to make note of. Um, Tuesday night, we will continue to have prayer and Bible study beginning at 6.30. In addition to being able to join us by Zoom, several of us are going to meet here so that we begin having more uh, meeting uh, in person. So if you want to join us at 6.30 um, for that service, we're going to be doing it both here and people will be joining us from the outside. Also, to get, most of you know that I'm a has-been baseball player and that pitchers talk about giving batters, you know, a new eye level just to kind of keep them honest. So we're going to do the same with you. Two weeks from today, we're going to meet outside. And we're going to do that because there are some of you who have been hesitant to come back and join us inside. So we're going to remove that barrier. We're also going to do it in such a way, uh, we're going to do it just outside here, that in this lower parking lot, 
if you're even hesitant to be seated with us in a lawn chair or on a quilt, we're going to let you stay in your car. I don't know how much more accommodating we can be than that, but plan on two weeks from today, um, assuming we've got one, we think we've got all the technology worked out, but you know how that stuff goes. Maybe uh, we won't. And then also, will it rain? I, I'm pretty confident it won't snow. Don't say that? You never know. <laughs> yeah, but the fact is, if it snows, we're not going to get wet out there. Okay? We can handle snow, um, not rain. So anyway, join us. Plan on joining us and bringing someone with you for this new novel experience. So we want to read today from the Psalms. If you have your Bible, open to Psalm 19, or you can follow along on the screen. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day he pours forth speech, and night to night he declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are their words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Seated and let us pray. Father, There's no way to deny it. We live in a hurting world. So many people are suffering in so many different ways. And we know about it because of the media that, that we've used, the, the intelligence and skill you've given us to create, and now we... We just seem to know about it all the time. And there's some among us that, that that creates stress and anxiety that has adverse effects on their health. We pray for them. We pray for healing. Lord, in these times, there are people without homes, without food, for multiple reasons, we pray for them. People are dying in our community. Carol Edding lost a daughter, Diane, this week. There may be others that I don't know about. Lord, we need your touch as we say goodbye and as we experience loss. Belinda Ford, Floyd is going to have surgery on Thursday. And we pray for the doctors who are caring for her that their skills will be on best display. And that we know you can go beyond even the skills of her physicians and surgeons. There may be others 
we don't know about, we pray for them. We pray this day for those that each of us do know about, the people in our lives that we can touch and show them your love. Not only do we pray for them, but we pray for ourselves that we will not rest until we extend a healing hand, make an offer, say a prayer, offer assistance. Not only for them, but because we follow you. And that's what you expect of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been doing, we will have offering plates at the door at the end of the service. uh, And you can give online if that's what you choose to do. Oh, I, you know, I, I haven't done this for 25 years, and so I'm, I'm just, I mean, I've preached, and, and I've shot my mouth off in classes, um, but leading worship, I'm having to kind of get back into it and pick up, pick up a few things that I remember. Now, we can't do what I want to do, so just look around and wave. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and shake hands with your neighbors. I used to love to have people stand up and shake hands with the people behind them. It's really difficult when everybody turns around to do that, isn't it? That's just a sadistic preacher joke, okay? But wave. Be glad to see each other, okay? Now, I have a question for you. Do you love a mystery? Let me see your hand. How many mystery lovers do we have out here? Uh Uh-huh. Do you really? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because I'm not sure you really do love mysteries. Because I think what you really love are those books that you have figured out by the second chapter. And then you read the rest of it just to see if you're right. And the same thing where by the seventh minute into a movie, you think you know who did it. And you watch the rest of it. Because it's a favorite actor or actress that you're trying to figure out if you got it right. Well, today... We're going to consider a mystery that's had human stumped for tens of thousands of years. Now, we've tried to figure it out. And over the years, we've taken the smallest clue and latched onto it as the solution to this mystery. And in fact, we've promoted those very small aspects of of the mystery that we think we understand to the point that we've used it to banish people to condemn people, and in fact, it has been so costly to us that we've even fought wars because we believe our small piece of the puzzle is the correct piece of the puzzle, the only piece of the puzzle, and we will put people to death over it if they had an alternative solution particularly. Now, the text we're going to read today It's about a time in the desert. So why don't you open your Bibles with me to Exodus 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, 
the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw, and actually that should be Yahweh, when Yahweh saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They, the cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen the, how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who send you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come, to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Mystery. Moses was going about what he normally did. He was taking care of the sheep. They weren't his sheep. They were his father-in-law's sheep. And he saw a bush burning. And it got his attention because bushes burn all the time, but this one wasn't consumed. Mystery. And as he moves closer, a voice addresses him out of the bush. 
mystery. Surprisingly, he doesn't do what many of us would do, and that's turn and run. When the voice addresses him, instead, he reminds me of some of my students. When I call their name, he just simply said, present. What else could he do? Take your shoes off, he heard. This is the sacred place, and I mean business. I am. This is voice. This voice claims the identity of the God of the ancestors, of, of the patriarchs. And this is Moses' context. In all of this strange stuff, he knows about his ancestors. What he doesn't know is this name, I Am. If it were Elohim, if it were El Shaddai, yeah, he knows those names. They were current with, a, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not Yahweh, not I Am. But Moses did what is appropriate when you confront a real mystery. He hid his face. Most of us don't know what to do when we confront this kind of a mystery. And in fact, we do our level best to avoid it. And if we can't avoid it, we deny it. You see, the greatest threat to our faith are not the cultural wars that are going on around us. It is not other religions that we come in contact with. The greatest threat to our faith is the loss of contact with mystery. And the reason for that entered our culture more than 300 years ago. It was advocated by these guys, John Locke, Dave Hume, and others, and it came with unintended consequences, and they may not describe it just exactly the way I am, but they advocated that empiricism was the only way to really know empirical knowledge, that which you can touch and taste in all the other senses, that was the only way you could know things for sure. You cannot. You cannot engage mystery through your senses. And if that's the only way we can know, then we're at a disadvantage. You can, however, create an economy. Empiricism. That knowledge which we've gained through our senses creates, it gives birth to science, which had produced the industrial age, and the standard of living that you and I in the West have enjoyed, and people in a few other places. But the unintended consequences was unbridled, unbridled empirical search. And science soon broke out of the boundaries that is reasonable for, for a body of knowledge that claims it can only talk real firmly about that which it can prove. And it wasn't long until they began to question whether or not God exists at all. They have no right. 
they have no grounds to raise that question. They have no right and no grounds to talk about whether or not there is a creator or not. They can say all they want about the evidence they have about how creation occurs from their theoretical perspectives. They cannot talk about why it occurs or who's behind its occurrence. But there was a, a side product that, that caused us to have a disadvantage of, uh, uh, as a church. We had invested a whole lot into those kind of physical details. And so as science began to grow in its understanding of the world, we began to come down on people like Galileo and others who were discovering new things and challenging the way we thought about it. It, it, you know, it became obvious that, that the sun didn't rotate around the earth, but that's what the church preached. And we didn't have the good sense to say, oh, okay, this new evidence, we just have to adjust. We continue to hold on and hold on until we begin to look like fools. Well, unbridled empiricism. Aversion to mystery affects the people of God. The Pharisees decided that, that they would build a wall around the Torah to protect it. And what the wall did was block out mystery. God is no longer mysterious when he is predictable. So what do we do? Do we accept an unbridled world? Do we accept a religious world in which God is no longer current? Well, before we point fingers too far, rarely do we in the church address mystery. In Sunday school, most of our children can't tell God from Santa Claus. We prepare them with totally inadequate concepts to deal with the challenges of life. God lives in heaven. You know, that place where streets are paved with gold and, and, and houses are made out of jasper and old opals and God has this long white beard and, 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 and he's got these long robes and we pay absolutely no attention to what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman that the God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. No. We want to create an image of God that sells. Unfortunately, I mean, and it, this wouldn't be bad if, if, it, if it wasn't for the fact that this, this belief doesn't change very often. Most of us grow into adulthood without learning that faith needs to be able to deal with the complexity of life. We learn that it's complex. We just don't develop a faith that is capable of dealing with it. Why do I say this? When did you study Job last? Or Ecclesiastes? Or Lamentations? Those are the books in the Bible that deal with mystery. 
to deal with questions. And it's rare, rare, rare. The only book that we, don't talk, that we talk about less is the Song of Solomon. But otherwise, those books are, are way down on the end of what we study. You see, when Moses encountered God, he was never going to be able to explain him. And he asked God for help. He gets to Egypt and he says, I met the God of our fathers in the desert, a bush that burned and was not consumed. He identified himself simply as I am, and that he had taken notice of our circumstances. Now I'm here to deliver Yahweh's orders to Pharaoh, prepare to leave Egypt. <coughs> we know the story so well that, that we, we miss some cre uh, critical details. You remember, Pharaoh refused. I mean, he said yes, and then he backed off of it. He said yes. I mean, he was a great politician. Yes and no. Yes and no. He could never get a straight answer out of him. And so what happened? There were nine plagues. A series of nine plagues occurred that directly challenged the gods of Egypt. Now, we think that's no big deal because it's God doing it, and we've read about it since we were kids. That was a big deal. Can you imagine the state of mind you would have been in if you were one of those people? Then Moses instructs you to get ready to leave in the middle of the night. He tells you to slaughter a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, eat the lamb, and get ready to get out of Dodge. And as you're leaving, you begin to hear First in, in rumors, and then it's all over the, the, the camp of, of your people, that the firstborn children of the Egyptians had died in the night. And you're running away. Can you imagine the terror that those mothers had if they didn't know why those kids had died and what might happen to their own? Was it a, some kind of disease that they were carrying out of Egypt with them? No, we... We don't embrace the full mystery of the story. And then your terror increases when you get to the sea, and right behind you is the army of the Pharaoh. And you begin to wonder if you haven't made some bad choices. Then it opens up. Now, you get across. You get to Horeb, and if they knew about our TV series, they would think they had entered the Twilight Zone. But they hadn't. But they were still scared. So they dispatched Moses. They made, named him as the emissary to go and find out what this God expects. And what they found out was that they expected him, that, they, that he expected them to go in and occupy this land that was already occupied. It had been promised to their ancestors, and now they were to lay claim to it. And that the only thing they had to do was create a society that reflected that they had been in his presence. And that eventually that would become structured as a covenant society in which one of the, if not the first religion that became 
with a strong moral component would be that of Yahwehism. They didn't go the first time. Remember that? That meant Moses spent the... Think about it this way. I never did till this week. Moses spent the last 40 years of his life. He spent the last 40 years of his life trying to get these people to come to terms with this simple fact that God was offering them a land flowing with milk and honey and all they had to do was take it and then live like they had been with a God that was capable of doing that. God had delivered them with a mighty arm and outstretched hands and, and they were afraid. So let's fast forward. Jesus is representing mystery when he announces the kingdom of God. When he announces that it's at hand and ready for occupants. Who will enter? Some did, some didn't. Doesn't it remind you kind of of the Hebrews standing at the Jordan River ready to cross over? Hesitant to do so? Jesus took flesh. Mystery itself broke into history so that we might better be better prepared to engage with mystery. And you find people marveling at the Gospels when mystery reveals itself in his healings, in the exorcisms, in his teaching. Mystery. Can you imagine what they said when he said to them? Do not fear who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, the kingdom that we're invited to be in is the new community. Israel existed as a, as a people group in the midst of a, a world that didn't know about Yahweh and the expectations and, and the blessings of living with this God. And there was only minimal success with that. But it prepared the way for Jesus to come and establish the kingdom. What you and I are to live in right now, not when we die. That's heaven. You and I are to live in the kingdom right now. That we are to be committed to spread to every culture calling and showing people how to live with Yahweh. You see, we don't know, what we don't know is that no culture will ever completely accept this. Our culture has never completely accepted the fact that God is in control. And we have never completely lived that fact. Now, a group of us were lamenting the other day over Sunday school that there are people who have abandoned belief in hell. But what do you expect? We are living in a world of unbridled pragmatism and empiricism. And nobody has ever come back to give us a first-hand account of hell. So if millennials are more completely empiricists than the rest of us in our generation... Chalk it up to the march of unbridled empiricism. 
and that it's more than a limited philosophy that has worked its way into being one of the sins of our culture. We've lost contact with mystery. We expect everything to be explained, particularly if it impacts us. And every time you hear a statement or you have the thought, how can a loving God, blank, 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 you fill it in, you realize that you are fighting against mystery. Sure, you want to know. Sure, you feel a need to know. But you don't have a right to know. And it's not likely that we're ever going to know all of the answers to all of those things. I can't explain the Rwandan genocide. Are the Holocaust, our floods, our Hurricane Laura, the death of a baby? Are there more than 180,000 Americans have died from a virus whose impact we could have limited by using good sense and less self-centered behavior? Living in a world that acknowledges mystery means I have to frequently say, I do not know. You know what? God doesn't need our explanations. He needs our obedience. He needs us living as if we have been with Him. That's how people will know the reality of God. Not, just, not because you and I can explain away every single thing that raises questions about God. That makes us vulnerable in this culture. Because it's permeated with empiricism. It's permeated by people who think you, you can't know something for sure unless you can touch it. And I say that's wrong. But the problem is, I'm an empiricist too. I grew up in this culture. Look in the mirror and you'll see an empiricist. What did God do with the Israelites? who were slaves in Egypt, he set them free. We are enslaved. We are enslaved to various aspects of our culture, and we need to cry out to the Lord to be set free. At the bush, Yahweh declared himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wasn't known by that special name, Yahweh. But he made it known to Moses. And he made it known to the Israelites in Egypt. He made it known because he, mystery was breaking into history. Jesus broke into history. God, uh, Paul recognized that this was a new aspect of mystery that Jesus had revealed. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, He has made known to us the mystery of His will in accordance to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. We can recover mystery. We can put off the shackles of our culture. Galatians 5, 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free.
the God of the fathers, Elohim, El Shaddai, became known to the Israelites. Now, they came to not be able to say his name, but the name Yahweh, I am, is what they knew. And Jesus introduced the mystery as Abba, Father. It seems contradictory almost that you can talk about God as this mystery of which you and I know almost nothing. So little. God is so large that if we, we, what we can conceive and, and apprehend is so small. But it's enough. How surprised were you as a, an adult when you learned that your parents had lives you knew nothing about? Huh? Yeah. I hear a few chuckles. Let me tell you something. God's got a life that we don't know anything about. But he's still Abba. And we can still have a personal relationship. Why? Because of grace. God has made it possible for us to live in relationship with Him because of grace. And you and I need to grab hold of that grace. We need to live it and show it to others. The question I have for us is how badly do we want that grace to grow in our life? How badly do we want to live a life that reflects we have been with God? How badly do we want God? There's an ancient tale from India about a young man who was seeking God, and he sought out a wise old sage for help. How can I find God? He asked the old man. The old man didn't say anything. He just stood up, and they were by close to a river, and he just started walking to the river, and the young man followed him, and he, the old man walked into the river. The young man followed him into the river thinking, he didn't quite understand what the point was, but surely there was going to be one. They walked out until the water was up to their chins. The old man turned and looked at the young man who was seeking insight. He put his hands on his shoulders, and he pushed him under the water. He held him under the water until this young man was frailing about so badly and so fiercely that the old man finally felt afraid that he was going to drown. He came up coughing up water. The old man led him back to the bank. And rather indignantly, the young man said, What did that have to do about with me seeking God? The old man looked at him and said, when you were underwater, what did you think about? The young man said, air. Did you want it badly? The young man said, you know I wanted it badly. And the old man looked at him and he said, when you want God that badly, you will find him.
how badly do we want God? I almost drowned once. I understand why that happened. My dad pulled me out just as I was floating down the river. I came out coughing up water as well. So I relate to this story. Can we relate to it enough that we want God that badly? You have to answer that. You have to answer that for yourself. And the problem is, one answer, one time to answering that is never enough. You're going to have to answer that question the rest of your life. If not every day, almost. How badly do you want God? Badly enough to seek Him in Bible study? Badly enough to seek Him in fellowship with other believers? Badly enough to, to seek Him in prayer? Badly enough to wait patiently and when confronted with mystery? When you haven't got all the answers and still say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. How badly? When we want God badly enough, then our part of the kingdom will come alive. Our part of the kingdom will show others what it's like to live with this mystery. And what, what an exciting, engaging life it is. When we want God badly enough, Others will want him also. And we'll have the opportunity to show and to tell how they can find him. We are going to close with a song. And in the singing of it, answer the question for yourself. going to stand and be dismissed with prayer but you need to know how I'm praying for you this week I'm praying that you will wake up in the middle of the night with mystery and asking yourself how badly do I want God the real God the one you don't quite know the one you can't quite explain how badly do you want this God so my prayer for you, and, and you're more than welcome to yell and scream at me, my prayer for you is that this thought will come to you several times and you'll have to answer it honestly. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will dismiss us from this place to lives of service. We pray that we won't be quite as comfortable with you as we've been, that we won't expect life to be as neat as we want it to be and that we will embrace the fact that we travel with you on a journey an adventure and there's nothing else we would rather do dismiss us knowing we have been in your presence and we give glory and honor to you in jesus name amen